Welcome to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Atlanta, Georgia, with a private practice where I specialize in working with women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll be discussing all things childhood, womanhood, and motherhood, and everything in between. I'll be interviewing various women who will be sharing their birth stories, as well as others who will be providing tips to help us be able to navigate this crazy world that we live in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. So I am so fortunate to have Tanya here on the show. Thank you for coming. I'm so grateful to have you. And this is- Thank you um, for inviting me. Of course. So this is how like Instagram can have you not stalking people, but like knowing stuff about people and you don't know them. (laughs) So what I know is um, Dr. Wright, um, you are an OBGYN. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. You have two boys and Mm -hmm. you live in Louisiana? I used to. We actually moved from Louisiana two years ago, almost two and a half years now. We live in Pennsylvania now. Oh, Pennsylvania. So you're on the East Coast. I'm on the East Coast, yeah. Nice. And you are originally from Anguilla? Yeah, you know everything. <laughs> oh, and here's here's the kicker. Is your husband Ghanaian? He sure is. And mine is, There's too. nothing left to talk about. You got <laughs> yeah, my husband's Ghanaian, too. Oh, wow. Oh, yes, awesome. Yes. Ghanaian men are so wonderful. They are. <laughs> I am so grateful for him. He's wonderful, for sure. Yep. Um, so tell us a little bit about how did you grow up in Anguilla? What was that experience? People often ask me, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, boy, it's such a loaded question and answer. So I was born and raised on Anguilla in the Caribbean. And I left there, as most people do, for college Um, at age 18. And at that time, my sister was actually in college in Canada um, and had gotten a full ride scholarship to a small university in this small town called Peterborough, Ontario. Mm. And we decided that I would apply and see if I'd also get the same type of funding. And I did. So I did my undergrad in a small town in Canada at a small university called Trent University Mm. uh, for four years. And then I actually moved down to Hershey, PA, which is the area that we live in now, to go to medical school. Okay to Penn State for medical school. And that's where I met my husband. Mm. And then after medical school, I did my residency in Philly. And then my first job was actually in New Orleans. And then we moved back to this Ah. area. So I've been all over the place. I feel like I could literally live anywhere. Um, But my heart is still very much in the Caribbean. That is my home. Um, This summer will be exactly, I think, 18 years since I left. Really? So it's been a long time. But I I do love it and I do miss it. But so where I'm from, I'm from Anguilla. Okay. How was it growing up there? Um, it was fun. It was a very easygoing childhood. Um, I didn't actually really even know um, what I didn't have because you were so content with what you had on the island. You know, everything has to be imported. So you just kind of made do with what you had. And it was such an easygoing lifestyle. Um, I have, I'm the last of three. So I have an older sister and an older and middle brother. Um, and I grew up in a household with both parents there. My both my parents are pretty hardworking. Um, and we just really had a great, great life, great life growing up on the island. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be a physician? Um, I 
knew for a really long time. I kind of waxed and waned and went all over the place from wanting to be a teacher to a fashion designer um, and then made my way back to, to medicine. Um, I was always really intrigued with the sciences. And believe it or not, one of the first books that my mom read to me was actually one of Ben Carson's books. And that really motivated me into thinking that being a doctor was actually doable. Yeah. Um, and then it also stemmed from the need on the island. There were not that many physicians on the island. I think growing up, there were maybe eight of them. Yeah. And they were not of Angolan origin. They were from many, many countries far away. It didn't really relate to the people and culturally it was a little bit different, difficult to relate to them. So I always felt the need to do something to be able to give back to my home country uh, with the goal that someday that that dream will still be fulfilled. Um, and so I always knew that I wanted to, I was interested in medicine for all of those different reasons. And when I left, I just stayed committed to it. You know, I went to college, I did a biochemistry and molecular biology degree. I applied to medical school you know, kind of right after finishing, I was able to go seamlessly right into medical school. Fortunately, that doesn't happen very much now. Many people have to take a gap year. Um, so I really got lucky with that and, and I've been blessed in many ways to have been able to, you know, seamlessly go through the pathway, but it is certainly not an easy pathway, not an easy journey. Gosh, okay, that's amazing. That's really great. Um, so then like growing up, knowing that you had both parents and your mother read that book to you and that inspired to by inspired you or helped inspire you to become a doctor. How how was your mom a mom to you growing up? Say it again, sorry, Keisha, I missed it. No, how was your mom a mom to you growing up? How was you guys oh, this yeah. relationship? My mother is we call her an angel. She is so nurturing and so positive. I mean, she couldn't say a bad word about anybody. Mm -hmm. She always really put a positive spin on everything. Mm -hmm. um, she was the kind of mom that would have all of my friends and my brother and sister's friends coming to the house and being fed and being cared for. Um, she's still very much like that. The interesting thing about my mom was that she worked shift work when I was growing up. So it would sometimes be challenging um, with her working overnight and you know we my dad was still very present and worked from in around the house so he'd always kind of be there but um mom was a very very hard working and i never felt like she missed out on anything mm -hmm. because she always she was always present she was always changing her shift to be there she was always you know working back to back or coming home and pushing through and staying up just so that she was there um, but she's the kind of person that, you know, made every meal hot, never had leftovers, always had to have everything, you know, everything was ironed and starched and nice. cleaned. And I mean, she was just very, very, um, just a great loving example of what a mom should feel like, you yeah. know, just really, really awesome. Um, awesome example for me. In some ways, I feel like I, I try to emulate a lot of that in the way that I raise my kids and always yeah. just kind of being there. Even though, you know, I, I work, I work shift work at times too. And, and think about my mom and what she had to endure back then to be able to take care of us and to be present. So it's definitely helped me a lot um, in my journey as a mom too, thinking back to how she was able to pull it off back then. Gotcha. Okay. That's phenomenal. Um, so then you met your husband when you went to Penn State. Mm -hmm. And when did you have your first? Right in of itself. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, so my husband is also a physician. Uh -huh. He is um, a physician scientist. He actually did a PhD during his medical schooling. So he's a really brainy, nerdy 
really brainy, nerdy guy. He might not look that way, right? <laughs> but he's extremely brilliant. So when I came to medical school, he had already been there for five years mm. and was coming back into doing clinical work um, right when I was like a secondary medical school. So everyone kind of knew him as like the guy around campus, you know, that's a two. And, you know, everyone always thought, you guys should meet. <laughs> you guys should meet. And literally everyone thought that two and I should meet. It was almost like if you knew his personality and you knew my personality, that it just made sense oh. for us to get together. Yeah. Uh, and finally, one day it worked out that we were at a party together. We met and the rest is history. Oh, wow. <laughs> the rest is history. We were, um, because he ended up being a year ahead of me and he went on to match in his residency at Duke University in North Carolina, mm -hmm. uh, we were separate for some years when I did my residency in Philly. Um, but we eventually made the distance work um, and it was certainly worth it. I mean, it's not easy, yeah. but residency is hard and you, yeah. know, you, you commit a lot of hours and time to working hard. And so nurturing a relationship is, is challenging, but we made it through four years for me in Philly, four years for us um, being in different cities. Um, and the summer that we finished residency was the summer that we got married to so the mm. summer of 2015. We're coming mm. up on five years awesome. here this summer. Ironically, I got married in 2015 too. We got married in December. <laughs> oh, nice. It was a good year. <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> so then after you guys got married, how long before you got pregnant with your first? So we, not many people know this, uh, they will now. Um, we tried for, so we didn't try right away. We um, waited some time, we traveled a bit, kind of, we hadn't lived in the same space for a long time. We were living in New Orleans, it was party city, mm. entertainment. So it was really nice to really explore and not have the same rigors of being in residency together. Yeah. Um, just having a good time. So I would say we probably didn't start trying for, for a year or so. Um, when we started trying the following year, we really had, to, we struggled, you know, as an OB-GYN, you know, for me, I want the magic to happen just like that. I'm yeah. like, everyone gets, everyone gets pregnant when they want to, in my mind, right? That's what I see. People who don't even plan pregnancies get pregnant um, easily, you know? And so for me, it wasn't happening as fast as I would have liked. And I started, you know, panic mode started to set in. And so after a year or so of trying, we actually um, got assistance with um, one of the fertility specialists. And it was really not, you know, anything super crazy, mm -hmm. um, but we definitely got some help from our fertility colleagues and we got pregnant with Ducey in 2016, the end of 2016, and had him in 2017. Nice. And then we had Miles in just last year, 2019. Okay. So they're two part. I like what you said about having like some worry and anxiety about trying to conceive and feeling like it should have happened instantly in with you being an OBGYN because we've never talked about this, but I'm a licensed professional counselor and I specialize in maternal mental health. And although we may do the work in helping women you know, manage their pregnancies and postpartum, we're still mm -hmm. human too. And we still have our own worries and concerns that we go through just as anybody else would. And Oh, absolutely, Keisha. And it might even be worse when yeah. you have some knowledge of what it is that you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, 
it was certainly a challenge i'll tell you that you know really trying to suppress the anxiety and thinking about it what would i tell my patients you know how would i want my patients to feel um how can i be patient through this process um is this you know are we doing too much should we be more patient should we wait you know i really struggled like you know is it that i have access to this help that i'm using it do i actually really need this the guilt you know there's so many emotions no matter what it is that you decide to do um in the end i was glad that we had decided to to get help um and it all worked out perfectly i had a pretty textbook uncomplicated pregnancy um but going through that even just going through the process of being pregnant knowing at every stage all the possible things that could go wrong let me tell you i made my husband crazy (laughs) (laughs) you know you get through it's like you okay you're trying to get pregnant you actually conceive your pregnancy test is actually positive Mm -hmm. oh my goodness this can't be is this going to be a chemical pregnancy where it dissolves in a week and it goes away oh no a week later my pregnancy test is still positive thank you jesus i'm still there's still a pregnancy in there Mm -hmm. oh i see a spot of blood and that's it pregnancy is over you're having Mm -hmm. a miscarriage right or you get to the first ultrasound and you are like the ultrasonographer is looking around and looking around and every time she moves that probe, you're like it's because the heartbeat's not there i don't want to look i just tell me i'm mentally prepared for this right you just kind of like get yourself so crazy and anxious about all the different possibilities i'll tell you when i see a mom and a husband mom and dad come in to look at their pregnancy on ultrasound for the first time um and they're so excited and they're so laser fair and there's it's as if they had never considered once that there could be uh, something wrong ignorance is bliss beautiful <laughs> feeling i wish yeah. i could be that person yeah. right <laughs> um and that's how it should be because more times than not everything is going to be okay that's why i tell myself statistically everything will be okay right but you if i am that one person that will suffer a miscarriage you know you feel like you'll never be able to get through it you'll never be able to process it and move on and try again so you never want to get you you don't want to be that person um so it 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 definitely made me my my pregnancy was very anxiety provoking i could have used your services keisha during that process (laughs) like how did you how did you get through it what coping skills did you or outlets Um, did you utilize i think i have colleagues um that are moms young moms like myself um i can think of one in particular um, with Miles' pregnancy, for example, because I mean, every pregnancy it just gets things out, it just builds even mm-hmm. more, right? He's just like, it was the first time it happened, it was too good to be true. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell myself. Mm-hmm. So the second time, prepare yourself for something, you know, having to process something, you know, that's not positive. But I have a few colleagues that have been through the process themselves. And I think just talking with them and hearing that I'm not alone in the way that I feel, mm-hmm. things that I feel everyone that has been in this situation worries this way. Um, you know, you're in good care, you're getting good care, you know, you're doing all the right things, um, that everything will be fine. And just kind of hearing that was helpful. And, you know, my husband is extremely supportive. You know, my husband takes care of people on the other side of life. He takes care of patients that are, that have been given a diagnosis of cancer. He's a radiation oncologist Mm. and he talks a lot about death and dying and palliation and making people, um, happy in that realm of their life. And so, he is very nurturing and the way that he um, caters to how I'm feeling. Um, and it's because he's used to people having to really deal with 
very significant yeah. issues, right? right? So um he was extremely supportive, I think, because of that. That's amazing. That's good. Okay. And then how was postpartum for you for each pregnancy? How was that after birth experience? <laughs> so oh, um my first postpartum experience was came at an interesting time. So we were still living at my first son was born in New Orleans. We were still living in New Orleans. Um, I did. My mom was present. My mom was there. But I had an interesting work schedule, work life schedule in New Orleans. Keisha, I had kind of like a concierge practice almost where I took care of my own patients and I delivered my own patients. Hmm. And if ever I were out of town, I had to find someone to cover me. And I was, you know, I could get the call in the middle of dinner or in the middle of the night and I have to go. Mm -hmm. And why I love that style of practice, but after having a newborn, it became almost impossible to be able to be that for my patients. Right. Um, I was nursing and that was something that was very important to me, committing to you know breastfeeding for as long as I could with the goal of getting to one year. And so that was challenging, you know, as a new mom, waking up in the middle of the night and nursing and pumping and making sure you have a supply for the next day. And then with my husband also being a physician, uh, you know, having to, he leaving in the morning before I could get back and kind of coordinating all of that. And it was at a time in my life where I was actually preparing for my oral boards, which is, that's really what, when you go to medical school and you finish residency, you know, ultimately you want to be a board certified physician in whatever the specialty is that you're doing. And a lot of people in community practice don't even take the, the, that last step of doing their oral boards. Mm. But that's something that was important to me. And it was right around that time that I was postpartum that I would have to do my oral board. So mm. here I am preparing for my oral boards nursing and breastfeeding a newborn baby, yeah. living in a two-bedroom apartment in downtown New Orleans, trying to navigate waking up in the middle of the night to take care of my own patients and get them through and be safe and be rested and be, you know, focused. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. I That's a lot. It. I felt like it was all too much. <laughs> yeah. I took some time off and I took um, six months, actually. Oh, good for you. To be with, um, with our son, with a two, and... Um, to transition actually up north here to Pennsylvania, um, to write my oral boards and pass them, and just to kind of get through that transition. And it was honestly the best mm. thing that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, it made navigating my postpartum period with my second pregnancy so much easier. Mm. I had it down. I mean, gotcha. I knew what needed to be done. I knew not to sweat the small stuff, been there, done that. I figured out the breastfeeding stuff. I knew how to ask for help. Yeah. Um, and so the second time around was a lot easier. Yeah. Not easy, but a lot easier. That's right. for sure. Yeah. Same for me. Um, did you have anybody outside of your husband, like any family come in to help? Yeah. So I, um, the first with Deuce, we were, I actually had a, we hired someone to come during the daytime. Um, a nanny, so to speak, to help. And she was wonderful. And actually, she was a mom herself and had been a nanny for a really long time. So I learned a lot from her oh, that's good. Um, with, with, taking care of, with taking care of a newborn. And my mom also came into town from Anguilla um, for about a month or so at that time. Um, since we've been up here with our schedules being as crazy as they are, we were fortunate that we do have someone that lives with us to help us take care of the oh, boys. Good. Um, which works out wonderfully. She's a great addition to the family. Um, 
and the boys love her and she's she's here you know to help when necessary she also has had kids herself so um is really great with helping me and um being very supportive so we're blessed in that way that we have someone that helps with the kids but my my mom comes up quite a bit too um and my husband's mom is just an hour and about a half away so we have help from family and also from people that you know that we hire to take care of the kids Awesome. Okay. So I I think that you definitely laid out just how in demand that you are, how much that you have on your plate, how your schedule can be all over the place. How do you balance being the mother that you want to be as well as continuing to prosper and soar in your career field that you've worked so hard for? Yeah, Keisha, thank you for asking that. It is not easy and I don't know if I necessarily have the answer. I certainly don't feel like a master of this in any way. Um, it's almost like I have to be a manager, you know, mm. of myself and my household mm-hmm. and my job. Like I'm the one managing everything and figuring out um, schedules and logistics and just simple things, groceries and, you know, um, so pickups and drop offs and not dropping the ball at, at work. I think their key really comes down to, for me, um, organization. You, gotcha. you can't do this and be all over the place. You know, you're <laughs> miss things. You, yeah. you have to almost mm-hmm. be systematic mm-hmm. in how you manage your life, right? right? It's literally like very systematic, maybe a touch of OCD is the, <laughs> just the same bit, right? And making sure you cross your T's and dot your I's. Do I drop the ball sometimes? Absolutely. You know, I just came back from the store and I said, I bought a carton of milk. What did I do with the carton of milk? It could be in the shopping cart. It could be at the checkout. It could be in the car. I have no idea what I did. <laughs> that happens, yeah, you know, not so frequently. Um, but you have to be, it's almost like you have to be a manager of your life. And that's kind of how I think about it. Um, I have a great support system around me, I would say, whether it's on the medicine side or at home. So from the medicine side, I have a very reliable nurse. I have a very reliable administrative assistant. I have reliable MOAs. You know, I have really reliable people that keep me going that I can pick up the phone and say, Hey, I forgot about this one particular thing. Can you pull through and get this done for me? Absolutely. And they're there and they follow through. So I've been fortunate in that way that I feel like the team that I have on the work side has been has been really instrumental the team that i have on the home side my husband is you know we're in a partnership we are yeah. literally partners in surviving this thing called parenting yeah, right? yeah so um he contributes you know just everything that i lack he picks up right there um and never questions it and never i mean my dad growing up was amazing mm-hmm. right but my dad did not do for us what my husband does for my kids mm, you know mm-hmm. to think how much i think that my dad was such an outstanding father and yet here it is that i'm married to a man that does that and even more yeah it is insane yeah. you know it's wonderful and it's definitely a blessing so um i would say staying organized having people around you that continue to support you and lift you up and push you forward Mm -hmm. is important. And I get that from a lot of people on my team, for sure. I'll sometimes, um, I, Keisha, I wear so many hats. It's not even, I mean, so many hats. I I just became the ombudsman for the College of Medicine, which basically means when residents and fellows or faculty have issues, 
I'm the person they talk to. You know, my husband tells me I'm a gynecologist because <laughs> I take care of women and then people just talk to me, constantly talk to me, you know, and I'm a sounding board. So I have to keep it together for all these different things. Another um, big part of what I do is medical student education. So I'm responsible for shaping medical students' careers, and many of them hopefully will go on to be OB-GYNs because they've had the opportunity to work in our department and to work with us. So I have, you know, to, to be organized in that way too and not drop the ball from, you know, medical student education. It's a huge, huge opportunity, and it, 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 I can't, I don't take it lightly what yeah. I have to accomplish for them. Um, at the, on the other side, you know, I'm also a person that you probably have seen from my Instagram. I love life and living, yeah, right? Yeah. And there are things that I enjoy doing and I don't want to miss out on those things. So I have to factor in the quote unquote self-care right. too and not lose sight of that. So, um, you know, it is a balance and it'll never be perfect. But I think the key really is surrounding yourself with people that will be um, on your team and would want the same things for you and are as focused and goal-oriented as you are. Right. I love that. And I think that's so important. And even you touching on living life, a huge part of anybody who's career-oriented or even stay-at-home moms or managing it all, sometimes we can lose ourselves and oh, yeah. forget who we were before or feel like we have to get rid of that person before kids and this is this new person now versus merging the world. How do mm -hmm. you maintain Tanya? Like, how do you maintain yes. the things that make you happy while also doing everything else? Yeah. When I felt myself kind of going off the rails, so um, at some point in January, um, my dad, he's fine now. He got diagnosed with like a very low grade early stage um, prostate cancer mm -hmm. I needed to have surgery. And so everyone is really counting on me to be able to get make this happen. Counting on me and my husband as mm -hmm. a cancer doctor to make it happen and to get in the best care. And so my family all flew up here and they were hanging with us for the month of January into February. And my sister was like, as a, just as an innocent bystander was like, you have to slow down. Mm. Like you were doing too much. You're yeah. doing too much. I think you're going to burn out and I see it coming for you. And I just want you to like pump the brakes for a minute. And, and having that conversation with her, I was like, you know what? I really do need to start saying no, I think uh, to some things. And I need to pause. I'm letting myself go. I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm just focused on everything else except um, myself really. And I felt like the burn was coming for sure. Mm -hmm. And you no, know, literally without having a plan for how I was going to reel things in necessarily, um, COVID hit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was almost like, you know, as awful as the situation has been, I went, they immediately put us on a specific schedule that pulled me out of doing all the hundred million things that I was doing mm -hmm. and kind of being in quarantine and just being focused on um, staying healthy and then staying healthy physically also really helped to get me healthier psychologically, right. right? Being out of the hospital, being out of the clinic, having two or three consecutive days at home with the kids. Um, it was very important and as like I said as awful as it has been it has been a wake-up call for me to just kind of take a step back and see all the different ways that I could actually 
prevent myself from getting burnt out. That has been the learning lesson for sure. That's awesome. And I know that you posted recently, you lost your baby weight. I did. (laughs) I was part of the mission. I was, you know, I didn't realize, um, I mean, I knew like how I appeared physically is certainly important for my 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 emotional well-being mm-hmm. um I, I don't want to let myself go i don't want to feel disgusted with myself right. i want i want to look in the mirror i'll put my clothes on and feel content and yeah. happy and i want to feel proud of myself and i also want to feel fit i used to be really fit before i had this year i could run 10 miles without <laughs> i mean that may never happen again mm-hmm. but now i aspire to run three miles without stopping yeah. and yeah. just be you know be around and healthy for my kids i have some really bad stuff like genetically going on in my family mm. like high blood pressure diabetes um obesity i need to just be careful with all this right. stuff. I want to live a long and healthy life for my kids. And so um, that was really important to me. So I, I checked myself nutrition wise. I bought the bike, the bike, the Peloton. The <laughs> <laughs> and I drank the Kool-Aid and I, that thing, girl, every single day, just about. Um, but it has been so great for me. I mean, I literally carved out time to be able to get it done. One of the tricky ways that I figured out how to incorporate exercise into my life without being too burdensome mm-hmm. is I actually just take my gym stuff to work with me. Ah. And I put gym stuff on before I walk out of the hospital. And before I get home, I stop at a trail, I run the trail, it only takes me 20 minutes, yeah. get back in the car and I come home, that's ah, it. That's and I don't idea. have to feel guilty about my kids being there, needing dinner, needing you know bath time. I can literally completely dedicate being at home to being at home with yeah. them. Um, and it's I'm also like a really good, it's a good disconnect from work. Like it's a good transition into work and not having to go from one thing to the other, as well as doing something that's physical and that feels good. And I feel like running is like a form of meditation anyway. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's great. Yeah, it's been real. that's been really helpful. Um, yeah, that, that's been really, really good for me, psychologically and physically. Let's see how, I mean, I want to keep it up. I definitely want to keep it up. So we'll see how I can go with that. <laughs> and then another like random question, like you were talking about, you had thought about going into fashion. And on your page, if anyone does follow you on Instagram, you wear a lot of bright colors and beautiful dresses and outfits, and you're just gorgeous. And oh, <laughs> how do you, because I know that a lot of, women struggle with that, like being able to dress your postpartum body and still like feel good because kind of like what you said, sometimes it is like your body changes drastically. You had whole Mm -hmm. human in you, especially if you had like a second or a third and it may Mm -hmm. not look exactly like it did before you became a mother, but how you can still feel confident and good in how you dress yourself and you wear well-fitting clothes and able to express yourself how do you do that oh yeah Keisha I literally I was just telling my sister-in-law this the other day I have everything in my closet from like a size six to like a size 14 <laughs> literally for every possible body that I can have uh-huh. I have something in this closet that in all of those sizes in just the past five years, probably, um, the woman's body is amazing, isn't it? It is. I think 
we need to realize is that we need to give ourselves patience and we need to have our give ourselves give ourselves grace mm-hmm. in time you know and the key really is to not rush it but to get there psychologically first you know and that way you can pace yourself and it's a lifelong goal and not just a fad not because i need to be a certain way for the summertime for example it's because i need to be this way for like the next 25 years right. and i think if you can really just you know, in the immediate postpartum period for me, I didn't rush anything because I needed to keep my milk supply up. I needed to make sure I had enough calories to be able to feed my child, yeah. um, which was something that I, you know, I struggled with. Um, so there was really no rush. But then when the time came and the weaning was starting to happen and I needed to do that for my own psyche, when your my knees were starting to hurt because the weight was just there, just not used to carrying that much weight. Um, and you make those decisions and it becomes a lifelong, lifelong journey. I love to express myself for me, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, I might not wear, you know, the trendiest things. I, I love timeless classic fashion with just a little, like a little bit of modern stuff kind of infused into mm-hmm. it. Um, I would say my way of dress is probably inspired by my upbringing on the island just mm. kind of like relaxed kind of casual resort chic i like to think yeah, of it yeah, I um, as i wear highs i wear lows i could probably find something to wear and buy in every single shop that i enter you know mm-hmm. i don't have a specific things that i must have um but you know my, my husband also loves fashion so that's something we could what man can walk the ball <laughs> and patiently outside the stores for you it's because he also shares a very similar style and um um in in his love for fashion and i do often shop his closet too oh. was part, that was one of my favorite things to do yeah. <laughs> it, that's a great way to hide the postpartum body until you're ready for it boyfriend yeah. jeans that is true t-shirts <laughs> you know it literally is a great way um to do it to masquerade it (laughs) (laughs) another um question i have for you and this has kind of been a topic that i've talked about on the instagram page for push through mom both of us are mom to black boys um two black boys how how do you feel about like in the the current climate of the country now has it affected your idea for their future or how you want to parent them or how you want to raise them at all? Has it affected you as made you sad, angry, fearful, anxious at all? Or have you been able to kind of be present and hone in how you want to rear your children? Oh, man, I which I talk about this with my husband all the time. One of the things that, I mean, we're, we are fearful of this. So where mm-hmm. we live geographically is um, not very diverse. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we could potentially be here for a long time. I have no idea what the future holds. And so we've already kind of thought, you know, my, my son is the only person in his daycare class right now that looks like him. Mm-hmm. And for the brief moment that there was another black boy in his class, I started getting the other black boys, kids, tadpoles at the end of the day, right? Mm. So um, it's definitely something that concerns me in this geographic area. And I don't exactly know how we will navigate it. And it does scare me. You Mm -hmm. know, we've thought um, the school systems here are fantastic, right? But they're fantastic. But do they have teachers or students that look like us? Probably not very many. And I don't know what that will mean for him. Um, I don't know. 
you know, we, I, I think the key really is to talk with other families mm -hmm. that are in the same situation. We have a lot of really close friends that are in the DC area and Atlanta and uh, Philly and more diverse communities. Um, and some not so diverse communities who are navigating these with a little bit older with older kids. And so we're learning a lot from kind of picking their brains. But um, I'm having like palpitations just even like trying to come up with a response to this because it's such a heavy, yeah. heavy issue. And it's hard to um, have a response to it. Like it is kind of like an open ended question for sure. When I see, you know, I think of um, how I'm approached now, like, oh, your voice is so cute. and. Like, I'm just, you know, at some point, there will no longer be these cute little black boys mm -hmm. that, you know, you guys don't over, but that you guys, you know, create a stigma of fear around. And right. that makes me sad. That definitely makes me sad. You know, my husband and I both grew up in countries where we were, which were predominantly black and, right. and didn't have to, in our, in our very formative years, deal with some of these issues. We did later on when we came to the U.S., um, but we were already kind of grounded in who we were and um, what our upbringing was to be able to navigate those difficult situations. But for little boys being raised in America who are in communities that are not so diverse, it's certainly a challenge. And I, I can just pray over my children, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, my last question is, like you talked about how phenomenal that your mother was and is to you and how she definitely set a model and an example of how you want to take care of your kids and i'm a huge believer that our mothers and just the women in our families um kind of set us up to our idea of how we want to parent and a lot of the things in our childhood and maybe it's because i'm a therapist um really contribute to the people that we are today and some of the things we have to unlearn and some of the things we have to really hold on to because we're grounded and it's a part of our core values. What do you feel like you took from her that you're implementing with your own kids? I think if I had to boil it all the way down to one thing, it would be to be a nurturer. Mm. You know, I have seen those moms and I, you know, I do my husband may, my husband may say otherwise, but I do discipline my boys, right? <laughs> but so I dote on them and I love them and I speak positivity and light to them and lift them up and just really um, just be positive with them. I feel like I can think back on memories where my mom would, you know, kiss my boo-boo and or make me something, you know, to make me feel better. Make me, I mean, none of these things, like the ginger tea to make me feel better. Mm. Like the ginger tea didn't make me feel better, but the thought that my mom did that was just a memory that's been created with me forever. Yeah. Um, just last night, I told my three-year-old, my almost three-year-old, I said, Lucy, mommy's tummy hurt. He said, mommy, have some water. Do you feel better now? Aww. And I thought he's already gotten the nurturing spirit, you know, and that's how kids should feel that they're loved and they're cared for. So I think just knowing that, I, I mean, I, even as an adult coming back home from college, just being in my mom's nurturing embrace and just letting her love on me and feed me. And, you know, just, <laughs> I just, that, that's, that's definitely something that I, um, 
loved and appreciated. My mom was very physical with her love and very vocal with her love. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I intend to be with my boys. And that's what I've definitely taken away from, from that experience. Awesome. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I'm so grateful to have had this time with you and just to get all of these tips on just navigating it all and being able to find balance and kind of like taking from what you said that it's not always going to be a perfect balance. Sometimes it's going to be unbalanced, but it's okay. And being able to mm -hmm. put yourself first and self-care so that you can take care of everybody else as well and be a pioneer in your career field. So I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Keisha. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course.